I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. You're listening to the QuickBook Reviews podcast. Brighten your day with a book. Hello, my fellow bookworms. This is Philippa from QuickBook Reviews. How are you all? Are you okay? I think I am. We haven't had to do a PCR test this week in our house, so that's that's quite extraordinary and quite exciting. Um, now, in a previous episode, I was saying, oh, maybe you prefer shorter episodes. Well, I ran a poll on my Facebook group, as I do, and you all were lovely and said you prefer the longer episodes, sort of 45 to 60 minutes, um, which is great. The only problem is today I've got to rush because if I don't get the dog walked and don't get the work done, I, then I don't get to pick a child up and then I will be in trouble as mother of the year. So bear with me today. We're going to get through it. It's fine. I've not had breakfast yet. It's gone lunchtime. You know, it's just going to be one of those usual days in the life of Philippa. But how are you all doing? I hope you're OK. Do join us on their Facebook group. You'd be so welcome there. Um, and you're, you are loving the playlist on Spotify. Again, just to remind you, there's a QuickBook Reviews reading playlist there. Just if you're struggling to be able to focus on your reading, have a listen to that. Only listen to it when you're reading. No other time. I find that helps. It just sort of conditions your mind. But uh, Yes, last night I needed to do some reading. I need to finish one of the books I'm going to talk to you about. Just couldn't focus. I sound like this is a sales pitch for my playlist, but honestly, it's not. You don't have to go at all. But I put it on, press play, and the the minutes ran away with themselves, and the book was finished, and uh, that was that was very pleasing. So there we go. Anyway, you may be saying to me, Philippa, stop wittering on. Tell me what books you're reviewing quite a selection. So we've got This Shining Life by Harriet Klein, and we're going to speak to Harriet today, which is great. We've got Ellie Griffith's new book, The Midnight Hour. We've got The Idea of You by Robin Lee. Hmm, I'm going to talk to you about that one. Old Baggage by Lisa Evans. And this one I picked up in a bookshop this week. Could you survive Midsummer? Uh, an official Midsummer Murders interactive novel by Simon Brew. So there we go. <laughs> Quite a selection. So let's let's deal with this shining life first of all. Um, so let me read you the blurb as I do. For Rich, life is golden. He fizzes with happiness and love. But Rich has an incurable brain tumour. When Rich dies, he leaves behind a family without a father, a husband, a son and a best friend. 
His wife, Ruth, can't imagine living without him and is struggling to find a way through her grief. At the same time, their young son, Ollie, is intent on discovering the meaning of life because everything happens for a reason, doesn't it? But when they discover a mismatched collection of presents left by Rich for his loved ones, it provides a puzzle for them to solve, one that will help Ruth through her sorrow and guide Ollie to the solution he needs. Together they will learn to lay the ghosts of the past to rest and treasure the true gift that Rich has left them, the ability to embrace life and love each moment for what it is. Yes, it's one of those books. It It is, it is sort of heartbreaking in that it is sad, but it's also happy. And listen, I didn't have to crack into the box of chocolates to, to get through this book at all. It it was a lovely book and um i th- i think who whatever you're going through in life it's it's a good one to read i wouldn't recommend this to people to say oh but don't read it if i think i think it's a good one uh, let's find the first sentence okay this is the prologue he fell over and lay in the grass laughing huh, i didn't think i'd had that much to drink um it's a very sort of human, honest, l- lovely book. It's a celebration of life and death, I suppose you could say. Um, it's told from different points of view. And so you get, again, the sort of full circle of the picture on what's happening, the struggles, um, the rawness of, of what you're going through. But again, it's not for me. It wasn't a book that made me weep. It was a book that made me reflect and think, which, well, yes, it made me think. That's good. I used some brain cells. Well done, Philippa. Anyway, I think we should go immediately and talk to Harriet now. So Harriet Klein, author of This Shining Life, thank you so much for joining me. Hi, it's great to be here. Well, I wanted to talk to you about this, this book. I mean, it's a, for me, it was a very mindful book. What gave you the push to write it? Um, Well, I was present at the death of a very dear friend. And for me, that was one of the most um, humbling and life changing moments Mm. for me. Um, But what it did was it just um, made me really think about grief and about how everybody experiences it in a really different way yeah um and this moment when I was present at the death it it was it was awful but it was also kind of the moment when I was most present because I couldn't be any I couldn't deny anything that was happening I had no Mm. choice but to let each moment unfurl as it did and because of that you somehow um notice everything that's going on and you become aware of what that really how important every moment of your life is yes my goodness that that's so powerful I mean it's if you haven't experienced someone dying before it's not how it's portrayed in the media at all it is so so unique and different so to take that experience and then use that as the basis for the book is um is an amazing gift to you and 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 to your friend as well. Yes, I mean, I mean, it is. It's a, it's a bit of a, a tribute to the man who died, even though, of course, you know, nobody in the book 
um, is actually anything like anyone who was there or, you know, it is fiction. But at the same time, I think that experience and the honour of having witnessed something so intense and so life-changing is sort of preserved, I think, within the book. Yes. And how long was it, was that sort of story then sort of turning around in your mind before you actually thought, right, I need to put this on paper? Um, I think it was a good couple of years. There was a lot to process. There was the whole grieving um, journey to go through, um, which, of course, never really ends. Um, And, you know, there was a lot there was a lot I sort of had to learn, really, because I felt like um, at first that the grief had really changed me and that I was a different person. And then I started to think, oh, no, I'm still just as rubbish as I always was. And, and, um, you know, and I kind of longed for this sort of moment of authenticity that I'd felt at the the moment when he when I was witnessing the death. And then I kind of thought about, yeah, we're all longing for that authenticity. And I started noticing how everybody else who was grieving was also longing for it. it. And and I thought, right, that was really when um, I sort of was able to notice other people's grieving processes that I started to process and think, yes, I want I want to write a novel about this because I thought, yeah, we're all we've all got something that we're striving for that comes in that moment. Um, when you witness someone die and it's really hard to to stay with it and I wanted to write about that process of you know what would it mean to stay with that level of intensity and presence. And did writing the book help? I mean it must have been quite um, emotional of course it must have been emotional to write but did it was it cathartic as, as well? Um, it kind of was but I'm not someone who cries very easily so I find that really strange that I've written this book that I know makes people cry Um, and you know and it's got lots of people crying in it but I don't really have that experience myself so it was it, it wasn't really cathartic but it was really um it made me really kind of get deeply in touch with everything that that I'd been through I suppose and as a result, did you then feel not differently, but had you progressed along the emotional cycle of dealing with grief? I think definitely. I felt I felt like I um, had delved more deeply into what grief really means to to me and then by kind of trying to get inside the head of the other characters I think I delved a bit more deeply in what it might mean for other people and what it might do for them so I feel um that I know it better um and I feel a little bit um I don't know I think I went through a process of kind of really becoming less judgmental of how other people feel I just thought this is you know we've all got our own emotional journey to bring to whatever grief means to us and although it seems it's a book for specifically for those grieving it's it's not it's a book about life I've I felt um and it's a book for everybody was that your intention yeah, I definitely wanted it to be about life and for it to be about the emotional 
kind of baggage that people carry and how it affects them. So grief was kind of the catalyst in the book, but I definitely wanted it to be about how do you continue living? How do you live with who you are? Mm-hmm. And although it's clearly an emotional book, it for me, it wasn't an emotional burden to read. I didn't have to pour myself a, a sherry before, you know, I, I got back to it. It it was easy for a hard subject. It was easy to read, if that makes sense. And uh, that was yeah. very clever. I was I was mindful of keeping the touch light. Um, yes, you know that's a better way of describing it than my fumbling. No, I mean, but I kind of—it's a funny thing, isn't it? Because I, I you know, I, it was—it did feel heavy at times, but I wanted to keep it light. And I think one of the ways that I really sort of wanted to do that was a bit of humour. Um, yes, and a sort of gentle—not uh, not ridicule, but sort of you know, noticing people's foibles and just yes. you know, keeping that as something to enjoy. Actually, yes, seeing the humour in in life and yeah. and, and all that that's involved. I'm interested as well. Um, I'm sure everyone asks you, but you work as a registrar yeah. as, as well. So. Uh, does that job help you to see the bigger picture because you're seeing the joyful moments and the the, the moments filled with grief? No, the, the job as a registrar of births, deaths and marriages is absolutely wonderful for me as a writer in general because I get to see every sort of person. There's no one who doesn't use um, the, the services of the registration um, at some point but in terms of grief um, uh, it it really did inform me mainly because I'd seen so many different reactions to um, death from you know people who come in still kind of in shock unable to speak to you know whole families who are kind of laughing together to keep themselves going um, I see anger um, and I sort of see this kind of very straightforward business-like approach. So I think um, that was really helpful. And also, I, um, I'm i feeling like I'm able to do something. You know, you're, you're, you're helping someone along the way in this yes. whole process that they've got to go through. Oh, that that's wonderful. And when you'd um, got all this experience and, and experienced the, the death of your close friend as well, and you say you were, it took some years before you decided to put it as a book. How did you approach actually writing it? Did you chew it a lot in your mind or did you just sit down and the words flowed? Um, I think I'd done so much chewing in my mind already. <laughs> Um, I mean, there was still more to come, but um, yeah, the words did flow um, and the the structure didn't. I had to, I kind of just had to write scenes as they came to me um, and then try and work out how to make that into a coherent story. So, and I know that in terms of writing the actual death scene, which is probably the only scene that is remotely close to anything that actually happened in real life. Mm. Um, I just couldn't do that until I'd really created the whole world that that the characters are living in and and got to know them. And I, and I know I was putting it off. Um, But when I did it, I, 
I kind of knew it was really like one of those magical writing moments. I wrote the deaf scene and then suddenly everything fell into place. I thought, right, that's actually the end of something. Um, and I knew then that it was going to be in three parts and it just kind of fell into place. Gosh, how interesting that in actually going through that very difficult experience of having to write what felt like a very accurate representation of, of what can happen, that then in a way you had come to terms with it enough to to then see the rest of the book. Yeah, yeah, it kind of made me step back, really. I'd finally kind of said what I'd needed to say. Um, and finally, I think as well, faced, you know, how painful that was, you know, because up until then I was sort of messing around with the characters and having a bit of a laugh. And then I thought, no, but this is the serious point. You know, this is this is really it. And it just kind of felt like all the truth came together. And did you change anything about the story or the characters as you went along from what you'd originally had in your mind? Yeah, um, you know, at every stage, you know, because you, you in your mind, when you first start writing a book, you know, you've got all these plans for exciting events and things. And then gradually you kind of learn, well, that doesn't work and that doesn't work. And then you go through the editing process um, and, you know, you have to cut whole characters out. You have to sort of take whole events out, you know. So, yeah, it continually changed as I went along. So how do you tend to plot in general? Mm. What, what's your strategy? I wish I could answer that. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think I write what I want to write and then I squeeze it into a plot. Um, and... I would love to be the other way around. I would love to know where I was going and whether it was going to work or whether there was any um, sort of interest or excitement in the story. But I just don't know. I just have to write what I know I need to write. And do you have a particular place you write or are you one of these people that can write anywhere? What I most like to do, actually, is write outside which you can only do half the year <laughs> yes. um, but you know I have been known to take a hot water bottle and a blanket down the garden on a frosty day oh wow yeah there's something about being outside just makes it all easier for me so um if I can write in the garden I will otherwise um I've just got to be able to look at greenery I think um so kitchen table which overlooks the garden's best place so the pandemic with having a house full of people has not really been that useful. So um, I've written in bed, I've written at the bottom of the stairs, you know, I'll just go anywhere where there's peace and quiet now. But are you better writing when you're relatively content? Um, and therefore, was that harder during the periods of lockdown? Yeah, it was really hard because, you know, I don't think I really even noticed how unsettled I was and how that affected my creative flow, you know, and I kept sitting down and thinking, well, I'm getting the words down, but, you know, I don't think I really progressed at all, actually. Yes, there's a difference to just uh, in just getting the word count up and actually making progress, I, yeah. I, I yeah. suppose. Very much uh, so. You've published short stories before, and um, obviously this is your first novel. How different was the, the process of writing and, and publishing for this? Yeah, this, I mean, publishing uh, This Shining Life was actually 
wonderful uh, because when you've got a short story you kind of have finished it and and you you send it off um and if you're lucky enough to get it picked up you know somebody might suggest a couple of tweaks but with this shining life you know you get an editor that's dedicated to you <laughs> um and I love the whole process I love the challenge of being told well you know actually this character isn't isn't needed how are you going to deal with that or you know how are we going to tighten up this area I just loved having that input having someone's intelligent eye on it and then you know responding and coming back with with things that I knew wow that has really improved the book so it was just wonderful to be edited um uh, but in terms of, you know, a short story, once you know you've got structure and once you know what you've got to say, it, it's kind of done. You just never know with a novel whether you've ever finished. Yes. Are you glad that you did the short stories first? Was it sort of a, an easier way in to writing? The novel? Yes. Um, I mean, I don't know that it's easier. I mean, you, you talk to other short story writers. I mean, it's just a different challenge. But I feel it kind of um, gave me an eye for detail um, and an eye for pace. Um, and in fact, you know, my first sort of vision of this shining life was actually as a series of short stories from the point of view of each of the different characters. Um, but I realised that, you know, how, that would be nice and comforting for me because I'd know how to do it, but it just wouldn't make such mm. an interesting book. So um I kind of abandoned that fairly early on do you mind me asking how you got this book published was it an an easy sell or, or was it um uh... I think I was relatively lucky um I kind of sat down and made a list of of agents um and um kind of thought oh am I really allowed to send it to those agents <sighs> oh you know and then I kind of had a talk to myself and said yes um, you know, start with the, with the ones you really want and then just work down. And I actually got the agent that I really wanted. So that's that was just for me like a dream moment. Um, yeah. And it kind of went from there, you know, because once you've got an agent, really, it's in their hands and, yes. and she's fantastic. So she kind of got me a deal that I was just totally happy with. And I believe you're working on another book. Yes, I am. So that's been hard doing that over the pandemic, but it's, um, well, you just never know, do you, whether it's going to work until it's written. But I think it's kind of, I've got a lot of material there that I'm thinking is coming together. It might involve dogs. Um, oh, wow. Uh, and does it, are, are any of the characters in the first book showing again, or is it a complete standalone? It's complete standalone, completely different. Yeah. Although, you know, you can't help thinking, oh, I'm sure I did that in the last book. <laughs> I'm sure I started on this theme in the last book. Do you think you could have written and started to write anyway your, your second book if you hadn't written the first one? Does it sort of is it a progression of having done the first book, even though it's not related at all? Uh, for definite. I mean, I definitely feel that there's things that I didn't say in the first book about life that I wanted, that I now want to say in the second book. I think there's things that I've learned um, in terms of technique that I want to sort of experiment with in applying. Um, you know, I think... 
I mean, it, it's interesting. You you kind of think, oh, yeah, I, I've written a book already. It's going to be easier. And it, it isn't. It's a bit like I know how to read music now, but I'm learning a completely new instrument. But there is, you know, it, for me, I feel like as long as I'm progressing, as long as I'm trying to find new ways to improve my writing, then that's progress. Mm. Are you experiencing the book two pressure that some authors mm. talk about? I really am. I mean, it feels so different knowing that someone is going to read it because, of course, it was all just a sort of lovely fantasy when I was writing yeah. Shining Life. And now I know that someone's going to look at it with a critical eye. They might not like it. I'll have to accept that. Well, I'm sure I'm sure they'll love it if it's anything like the first one. What surprised you the most about the publishing world? Um, yeah, just how, um, I don't know, many things really. I mean, really how lovely and friendly everyone is. So, you know, I knew that people went for lunch and things, but to actually kind of experience that and to realise that you can have these amazing conversations and it, and that's part of your job. It was just <laughs> wonderful. Um, but, yeah, it just seems also quite um almost chaotic you know you don't you can't predict anything you don't know whose book's going to do well you don't know what how things are going to be taken and you just kind of what I learned to do really was just hold my nerve the whole time and it must be even more of a challenge because this book feels so much of you yeah you know with all that you've gone through it, it's not as if you you've written a book that's detached and um you're not as involved this feels so much of you yeah it feels very personal but I don't think that anything that I write will ever not be you know I think <laughs> that that you know I'm always you know I don't really um kind of look to things that I don't already feel are somewhere deep inside me you know I mean I think my writing process is to drag up whatever's deep in my heart actually you know bring it screaming into the light <laughs> Do you find with your job that as well, your registrar job, I should say, that you have a notebook there as well? And as soon as someone's gone, you're like, well, just make a note of that. Every now and then that does happen. Yeah. You know, just a little mannerism. Yeah. Or, you know, or, or often it can be just a moment that changes, you know, when you just think, oh, that person came in really angry and now they've left smiling. And you just want to kind of make a note of what it was that, that changed you know yes. in your interaction I mean again that was one of the really hard things about the um, pandemic is that we stopped seeing people face to face um, and oh, I just yeah. missed that especially doing death registrations because you know it is that kind of real genuine connection that you make with someone and you can't do that over the phone so that that was a shame actually and forgive my ignorance, did did you ever do those on Zoom or was it just for the voice? Um, yeah, it's just for the voice. Oh, so and it's and that was just horrible, and especially, you know, in the pandemic when people were completely um, you know, freaked out and in a state about, you know, what on earth was going on. And, you know, and, and it was awful, yeah. you know, because people couldn't see, you know, if people had died of COVID, they couldn't then have anyone come in to comfort them because they then had to isolate. So, you know, it was a it was a really horrible time and you just felt like you're just on the end of the phone. I wish I could be in an office with you, you know, yes. person. But you you seem a very compassionate 
person and you've got this sort of energy about you and and it comes from the book as well you know if I'd read the book and then be had to guess which author had written it I I think I'd have chosen you quite quickly that the the book is is you and I'm sure it will go on to be incredibly successful and uh wish you wish you all the best with your career it's wonderful thank you very much (laughs) well Harriet Klein thank you so much for joining me today it was total pleasure hey I'm Ryan Reynolds at Mint Mobile we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does they charge you a lot we charge you a little so naturally when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Wow, well, that was that was really interesting, wasn't it? But yes, can't wait for her next book. No, no pressure, Harriet. Sorry. So let's get on to the Midnight Hour by Ellie Griffiths, um, and this is uh, obviously Ellie Griffiths is really well known. Um, but this is part of a series I haven't talked about before, The Brighton Mysteries. I believe this is book six in it. I've got them all. And I haven't read them, I'll be honest. And I've kept putting off reading the next book that comes out in this series because I always want to start with the first one and go through the whole series. But I don't know about you, but I just got to the point where I thought I've I've read lots of other types of books, particularly read thrillers lately, and I just want a good old-fashioned crime book. And I don't mean old-fashioned in a derogatory way. I want I want there to be a murder, I want there to be suspects, and and I want the great sort of twists and turns and who done it and reveals. Um, and so I just thought I'm going to read this. I'm not going to wait for the time to go back and start at book one and read my way through. I'm going to trust that Ellie will deliver a book that I can read without having to read those previous ones. And of course, she delivered. I love this book so much. L- let me read you the blurb. 
Brighton, 1965, when theatrical impresario Bert Billington is found dead in his retirement home, no one suspects foul play. But when the post-mortem reveals that he was poisoned, uh, suspicion falls on his wife, eccentric ex-musical star Verity Malone. Frustrated by the police response to Bert's death and determined to prove her innocence, Verity calls in private detective duo Emma Holmes and Sam Collins. This is their first real case. But as luck would have it, they have a friend on the inside. Max Mephisto is filming a remake of Dracula starring Seth Billington, Bert's son. But when they question Max, they feel he isn't telling them the whole story. Emma and Sam must vie with the police to untangle the case and bring the killer to justice. They're sure the answers must lie in Bert's dark past and in the glamorous, occasionally deadly days of Music Hall. But the closer they get to the truth, the more danger they find themselves in. So let's uh, read the first sentence of this. Um, I should say I got this book on NetGalley, so thank you to NetGalley for letting me read it in advance. This is the prologue. Sunday, 19th of September, 1965. Sunday afternoon, thought Verity Malone, was a blameless time of day. Oh, I'm going to read you. Can I read you one more? No, I'm not going to read you anymore. Just... Just get it and, and love it. I love the name Verity, by the way. There was a girl at school called Verity. Do you like that? Anyway, what did I think about this book? Okay, Ruth, the Ruth Galloway series is my all-time favourite. So is this exactly on a pitch with Ruth Galloway? No, but it is so close behind. It's amazing. I loved it. Um, Ellie Griffiths is so good at characters, characters that you just get into straight away. So even though I hadn't read the books before, I really enjoyed it. I love the premise of it. I love how the suspicions start to be raised. Um, it's just it was just a great read and it's made me want to go back and, and read all the others. Um, but don't feel you have to. You can read this on your on, on its own. And you and you will really enjoy it. And I love the fact that, you know, crikey, this woman, Ellie Griffiths, honestly, not only can she write contemporary um, books, she can write them based in 1965 and do them brilliantly as well. Is there anything this woman can't do? It's very irritating that she's so good. But it's also wonderful that, you know, you can pick up an Ellie Griffiths and it's going to be great. This does sound like I am... Um, the number one, I'm secretary of the Ellie Griffiths fan club. I'm not. There's so many fans out there. Um, but she can she can write. And it was a great crime book. So I really enjoyed that. So that's The Midnight Hour by Ellie Griffiths. So now we need to come on to The Idea of You, which is by Robin Lee. Now, um, I... I did not know anything about this book. I'd seen people saying, oh, really enjoyed it, really loved it. Um, it came up as an audiobook on my library app. So I just thought, why not? Um, it got started. I'll give you the blurb in a minute, but it got started and I realised that it was read by the author. And my initial reaction was, oh, it's written by the author. Is that is that going to be good? Sometimes it can work brilliantly, sometimes not. Um, but fair dues to it. It it worked really well. I found it was very convincing. 
Um, she delivered it beautifully. It was very good. But uh, the big but is the smut. I had I was unprepared for the level of smutness in the in this, and I know it's me being all prickly princessy. Uh, it's certainly not one to listen to in the car with the children, that's for sure. Um, my goodness, uh, yeah, would I have read it or listened to it? I mean, listening to the author <laughs> read bits of it is just, oh gosh, yeah, I had to put it on quite a fast speed to, to, to get through that. Okay, so it, this is the premise, this is the blurb. Everyone in the world knows his name, but it's you he wants. To the media, Hayes Campbell is the enigmatic frontman of a record-breaking boy band. To his fans, he's the boy of their dreams. To his label, he's gold dust. And to Selene Marchand, he's the pretty face that's plastered over her teenage daughter's bedroom wall. Until a chance meeting throws Hayes and Selene together. The attraction is instant. The chemistry is electric. The affair is Selene's secret. But can it really stay that way forever? Uh, so let's let's read the first sentence. It's a very short sentence, but the um, first chapter is entitled Las Vegas. I suppose I could blame it all on Daniel. Now, what I thought I was going to get from this book was a very interesting tale of two very unlikely people forming a relationship and how the book wasn't really going to be, will they get it together? It was, how is it all going to end? And in some ways, I guess that's what you're waiting for. But uh, it, it, uh, I got, I got, I got cross. Uh, and I'm not going to tag the author in this because uh, lots of people love it. But I got cross with the main character and the decisions she was making, the impact her decisions had on those around her. And yeah, it just made me, I got the ick a bit with some of the scenes. It's just, um, am I glad I read it? Well, I I just thought the premise was interesting, but it it it's not one I would reread and it's not one I would recommend. Certainly not going to recommend it to my mother. That's a that's a big no-no. Um, so it depends. If you're if you're into your 90 shades, then then you would probably enjoy it. Um, but yeah, it wasn't just that. It was it was how I got cross with people and how you can allow something to happen that that you know is going to get you into trouble. And yeah, anyway, I don't want to, to give anything away. So do read it and let me know. Am I just being Philippa, the prickly princess? Um, and uh, am I just being far too old fashioned? <laughs> maybe that's what it is. I've hit the big birthday. So maybe this is the natural response. I don't know. Anyway, um, from one old baggage, which is me, to a book that's called Old Baggage, which is not me. So Old Baggage is written by Lisa Evans. And here's the blurb. It is 1928. Matilda Simpkin is a woman with a thrilling past and a chafingly uneventful present. In her youth, she was a militant suffragette. Jailed five times, she marched, sang, smashed windows and heckled Winston Churchill. But nothing since then has had the depth, the same excitement. Now in middle age, Matty is looking for a new purpose. Giving the wooden club she still keeps in her handbag a thoughtful twirl, she's struck by an idea. But what starts as a brilliantly idealistic plan is directly 
derailed by a connection with Matty's militant past, one which begins to threaten every principle she stands for. Um, let's do the first sentence. Part 1, 1928. Matty always carried a club in her handbag, just a small one of polished ash. I'm going to actually, I'm going to read you the next sentence. That was the most infuriating aspect of the whole episode. She'd actually been armed when it happened. I love this book. If you like books like um, Mrs. Benson's Beetle that I've I've talked to you about before. Oh, and we've got the author coming on in, well, I don't know, about a month's time. That's very exciting. Anyway, sorry, back to this. If you like that, where there's strong women um, from times past who have a story to tell and are real characters, you're going to love this book. I'd say it's more... Um, it's more down the literature, literature road than Mrs. Benson's Beetle, but it's still just as lovely to read. You are, well, I certainly learned a lot. Yes, I thought I knew so much about uh, suffragettes, but no, um, I learned a lot more, but not because I was dictated to, um, but just soaking the story up. I also, it was on the library app, the audiobook, so I listened to some of it on that, and the narrator is a joy. She embodies the main character, Matty, and she delivers it beautifully. Um, this is definitely a book I'm going to give my mother, unlike the previous one. I thought it was funny. It was glorious. Um, it was moving. It was educational. It, it was just great. Re really good book. So that's Old Baggage by Lisa Evans. And then we come to the last one. So, as I say, I saw this in a bookshop, an official Midsummer Murders interactive novel. Could you survive Midsummer? Uh, can you avoid a bizarre death in England's most deadly county? And it's written by Simon Brew. Now, I don't know about you, but when I was young, you used to have these books that would be like choose your own adventure book. So you'd read a chapter and then do you think you should follow the cowboy? Go to page 37. Do you think you should head home and see the sheriff? Go to page 40, that sort of thing. Well, this is like it. Now, I'm not that up on Midsummer. I haven't watched uh, watched it for a while, but I really enjoyed this book for a change. The one problem for me is that Turns out I'm a bit of a control freak in terms of how many pages I've got to read, how far I am in the book, because with this book, I had no idea. Yes, how many pages are there in it all together? Let's see, 302. But at no point do you know how far you are on because the book bounces about. So you might be sent to page 200, but then you'll be sent back to page nine. And I found that really... It really made me uncomfortable because I didn't know how much more I'd got to read. So that, that just shows the weirdness of, of Philippa. But I enjoyed it as a change. It infuriated with me because clearly I'm a really bad detective and the book <laughs> kept reminding me of that. Like, no, I failed again. Um, but here's the blurb. On the eve of the Midsummer Villages in Bloom competition in England's most notorious county, a body has been found lying beneath a pile of homemade dams and jam jars. As the overseer of the little Norton entry for the competition, Peter James Maddock was well known in the village, but we soon learned that he had a dark past. What could be the reason for his extraordinary death? 
That's where you come in. In this first ever Midsummer interactive novel, step into the shoes of Midsummer CID's new detective and decide which way the story goes. Staying vigilant in a county with such a reputation is no easy feat, but it could just be what you need to crack this curious case. Let's see the first sentence. Chapter one. Well, the first sentence is actually a, a, a page how to play. Uh, which is, hello, detective, welcome to Midsummer. But I'm going to read you the first sentence of the main bit, chapter one. Glancing up at the skies, Veronica Wollaston breathes an audible sigh of relief. I really enjoyed it. Would I want every book to be like this? No, absolutely not. It was a one-off and I enjoyed it. I had not heard anything about this book being released. Um, and normally when I go in a bookshop, I already know it sounds really full of myself and I don't mean it like that but I already know what books are going to be there and have an idea of what I'm going to pick up so this was a shockathon for me um to see this and not having heard anything about it it's we're coming up to that seasonal time folks it's gonna be Christmas and um and I think this would be a good present for people because it is something different. And yeah, I really enjoyed it as a change. I wouldn't want to read it every day, but I think once I've lent it to a couple of people, it's one I'm going to keep because I think, you know, so far I've still not been able to solve the murder, no matter how many times I have tried. And let me tell you, I've tried. So uh, I would like to try again uh, to have some success. So, yes. I just it's something different and, and that's what we need. So today, the books we've covered, The Shining Life by Harriet Klein, uh, The Midnight Hour by Ellie Griffiths, The Idea of You by Robin Lee, Old Baggage by Lisa Evans and uh, an official Midsummer Murders interactive novel by Simon Brew. It's quite a range. Um, got some really good books to talk to you uh, about next time. Really good author interview. So this is me over and out for today. Uh, just stay safe, everyone. Keep going. Look after yourselves and I'll see you very soon. Take care now. Bye-bye. You've been listening to the Quick Book Reviews podcast. That's enough books, said no one, ever. See you again soon. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that 
Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. 